We return again to the book of Hebrews for our ongoing study of this book to one of the most difficult passages in the Bible known as a problem passage, a problem not for God, a problem for men who interpret God's word. bring you again to Hebrews chapter 6, follow along as I read beginning again in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Our Father, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, the Son and Savior, O Holy Spirit, divine, innervator of your word, speak to us today clarify in our hearts and minds things that need clarity. Help us in our way to walk with you in security. Security and faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God. Bless this preacher so that wisdom and understanding may be imparted without any adulteration. Help our hearers, Lord, today to attain to this level of mature understanding. Help us, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Let us go on to maturity is the title of the series of chapter 6. I'm in endeavoring to keep going today. Let us go on to maturity, part two. This is a problem passage that we will be dealing with. We deal with it not as a problem, but as a task to be taken on so that God's people can know clearly and rightly what it is God is saying. This can be known. It is here, it is clear, and God will help. 
The perseverance of the saints must be in the back of your minds as we ended last week introductorily. And we go on this morning with verses 4 uh, through part of verse 6 today. I've entitled this message, Working Without a Net. Working Without a Net. If you got a bulletin this morning, you see I gave you a picture on the front. Sometimes clip art can be helpful. Hopefully in this case, it is. A high wire walker is emblazoned upon your bulletins. Those who walk across what formerly was called a tightrope. Circuses of old were often well stocked with those who could make us frightened by their daring physical feats, whether it would be those who were swinging and flying from the great trapeze to those who would walk the tightrope. There was a thrill in watching these daring folk walk so high above the ground, balancing their ways across. It was mitigated somewhat if there was a net below them that if they should fall, it would catch them and deliver them safely to terra firma, to the earth below, undamaged. But the act goes up a level in its extremity, in its riskiness, and in its ability to frighten and thrill when the safety net is removed, often with great fanfare. Uh, so much was the necessity of uh, continuing to thrill the crowds that the tightrope walkers uh, gave way to never using a safety net again. It was only nine years ago that American Nick Walenda crossed the Grand Canyon, a portion of it, walking a distance of 427 meters across a two-inch in diameter wire suspended above the canyon without a net. He upped the ante later by going to Chicago where a three-quarter inch line was stretched between the 588-foot tower of the Mariana City to the Leo Burnett building at 671 feet. He then was required to cross this gap at an increasing angle and altitude on a wire as thick around as a penny. And he was working without a net. If he were to fall, there would be no help. He will surely die. One mistake, death. I submit to you today that the people we are discussing in the book of Hebrews Verses 1 through 8, I think 1 is lumped in, yes I do, 
But for today, 4, 5, and the beginning of 6, we'll finish up later, are working without a net. They are people who are incompletely associated with Christ. Let me say that again. They are incompletely associated with Christ and Christianity and so are also working without a net and are in danger of falling away to eternal death. Look at verse 6. If they fall away. It's necessary for us to take the first portion of verse 4, connect it to the first portion of verse 6. All that comes between describes, but the important sentence to realize is this, if they fall away is connected with verse 4, for it is impossible. So it is impossible for those, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance danger of falling away. So here in Hebrews 6, our author presents us with five incomplete Christian associations. That's five incomplete Christian associations as evidence of unbelief. So that people who associate with the church and are yet not fully saved may be warned may be warned to fully and completely believe in Jesus Christ and his gospel. This is a warning. The question we are again entertaining is, can a Christian lose their salvation? Or not? If not then this cannot be teaching about Christians losing their salvation, but rather about non-Christians who are associated with the church, who have the outward trappings and intellectual understandings of the gospel of Christ, and may even be in a form of faithfulness in coming to church regularly and being part of it, yet are in danger of falling away with an impossibility of restoration. They're working without a net. I want to go through this to show you that these are incomplete Christian associations as evidence that these are not believers, as some might suggest, who can lose their salvation, but rather... These are unbelievers who may fall away from Christ and his church. Let's begin. We have in front of us a progress of maturity. And it necessitates that we have a mature reminder of incomplete Christian associations. Again and again in Hebrews, and he's not going to lose this theme throughout, maturity, growing to completeness is a theme. It is not lost here. You can be in a state of immaturity that is pre-belief. The most immature are unbelievers. There can be believers who are immature in their faith, 
But the most immature, the most incomplete in how they look at the world, their worldview, their life view, their way of thinking is the non-believer. So we need a re mature reminder of incomplete Christian associations. And I will give you five incomplete associations that are evidence of unbelief, of the lack of faith, that they are not indeed Christians, but they are people walking along with Christians in Christ and his church who are working without a net like a high wire walker and are in danger of falling to their deaths. Number one, letter A in your notes. Letter A in your notes. Of these who are enlightened but not enlivened. Look at our verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, once enlightened, if they fall away to renew them again. Those once enlightened but not enlivened. Enlightenment. This word in our Greek is photizo. We are familiar with these terms. We get photographed that it takes light to develop. The photo period of the day gets longer in the summer months and shorter uh, during the winter months. The time of light. It also has an element of making subject matter clear. It's directed toward the mind to cause someone to fully know. So teachers uh, sometimes impart light. There was an age that was known as the Enlightenment. Uh, regrettably, they weren't always as enlightened as they thought they were. But they thought they were. To cause to understand is another definition. Uh, the use of God's enlightenment with his revelation is on the table. Those who have been enlightened, uh, given the light of God. So even in the usage in the Septuagint, that of course gets us both an Old Testament and a, a New Testament understanding in the Greek language, means to give light by knowledge or teaching. It means to be mentally aware of something, to come to what we would call an intellectual assent, saying, yes, I think that's most likely true, or that that is truth. However, with this word, there is no connotation nor no guarantee of a response from that one enlightened as to either a rejection of total unbelief uh, nor acceptance of full belief. They're enlightened. They've been exposed to light. Their picture is, if you will, starting to develop. They have a level of understanding, but they are not enlivened. They are not enlivened. Let me see if I can illustrate this with my struggles that I once had as a freshman. A freshman in high school, not a freshman in college. That's where I got true light. But in the freshman year of high school, back in the elder days when I went to high school, there was a certain mathematical class that you had to take that year. 
It was called algebra. Algebra destroyed my mathematical world. I was in the class. The teacher was attempting to give me light. He was giving me instruction, but I seemed to be blind, and I could not see. Perhaps it's better to describe it, I was unbelieving. Because for the life of me, I could not find a way to give a reasonable value to X and Y that substantiated a need to take some of my valuable time as a teenager in studying it further to find out what the value of X and Y were in any given situation. I was near the light, but my grade showed that I couldn't imagine X and Y being real. So he was telling me there was a safety net, that if I just did these formulas, it would come out right but I didn't believe that there was a net and that I had to somehow walk across this desert of mathematics with no concrete bearings on where I was going. It was completely abstract to me. There was nothing solid for me to take purchase on. I was walking without a net and I fell. I fell. And the first letter of fall, you got it. That was my grade. And F. Jesus saved me. No, I got an F. The Bible says of the coming of the Messiah was predicted by a prophet that the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. They have been exposed to the blazing glory of Christ come to earth. He walked among them and gave them light, yet... Not everyone believed in that light. They all believed he was something. Something light worthy. But they did not believe he was the son of God. The savior of the world. The Messiah of Israel. He was light. In John, the 12th chapter, Jesus himself points out how people can be exposed to light, yet not believe in light. So, John 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while, 
a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest, here's the warning similar to Hebrews, lest darkness overtake you. So even here there's that suggestion you can have light and not keep the light and not believe in the light. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, here it is, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. There must be full belief. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Now listen. That he was hidden from them. He's hidden from his own people. Purpose clause here. There's a purpose that he was hidden from them. Listen. It's from Isaiah the prophet. That, so the purpose is that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, listen, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed or been enlightened? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart, lest they should turn so that I should heal them. So even being part and around Jesus' life, there was a judicial hardening of the hearts of the very people of Jesus Christ because of their past unbelief and their present unbelief. You can be by the light and not be enlightened. Peter speaking of the false teachers that will come in our age, in the latter times, he speaks of these false teachers very descriptively, very scathingly. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, I'm going to pick up the reality of their darkness Though they know so much, yet they know so little. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? That there is a level to which they had escaped the pollutions, the sin, the decadence of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They become associated with the church. These are people that come into the very church of God but yet are not of the church of God. So they have come a distance. They come to knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They, if they, they are again entangled, if they're again entangled in the pollutions of the world and overcome, listen, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. What? It almost sounds like these are saved people, doesn't it? They've got knowledge, but they don't have faith. There's something happens when God gives you faith to believe that the lights come on. Am I right? I'm right. And then he says this, For it would have been better for them not to have known 
the way of righteousness. There is a responsibility that is shared by everyone who has ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the word of the Bible, they're responsible. It would have been better had they not known the way of righteousness than having known it, listen, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, and here's a very important feature of their unbelief. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. Here it is. Yes, I'm going to say this in church. It's from the Bible. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Dogs are sick. They do vomit, and then they eat it again. Cats don't do that. Dogs do. Because it's what dogs do. Sows, even though you've washed her for the show down at the fair this weekend, to show her off, as soon as she has a chance for the mud hole, she's in it. She does according to what she is. This tells us they were never regenerated. They were never renewed. They're still dogs and pigs. Because when God enlightens you in truth and you believe fully in it and you are enlivened, all of a sudden, you're not a dog anymore. You're not a pig anymore, the mud doesn't look good to you. The pollution of the world is not where you want to be. Can I have an amen? I better heard something out there. The light given to them because of unbelief can cause a fatal fall if you fail to believe fully. You fail to catch it. You fail to assess it. You fail to see the value of X. And complete the equation. You are working without a net and are ready to fall back into the pit of the world system. The difference between light and dark, the difference between a dog and a cat, or if you will, an unbeliever and a believer is this, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. We're talking about unbelievers walking without a net, who have an incomplete association with Christian life and Christian church and Christ himself. Number two, the second incomplete Christian association outlined in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, one, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Those who have tasted letter B in your notes, the heavenly gift, but not accepted the heavenly gift. 
Have you ever gotten a package from Amazon while you were gone? You know, some of those guys uh, that deliver for UPS and who know you, see out where we live, we live out in the country. And our, our drivers that know us know, just open the door and put it inside. Every so often you get a new driver and they're like, well, I can't leave this outside. And one guy went over to the garage and put it in there. In there. And I'm like, where's my stuff? It says it got here. But I didn't receive it. And that's kind of what's going on here. You know, you can get a gift, and if you never open it, you know, if you're one of those people that take a long time opening gifts, I've never been one of those, by the way. But I've known some girls who are. My Vicky can, can go and open her presents and then reuse the paper, right? Can I have an amen, somebody? You know, you're like her too. But me, I'm tearing that baby up. I want the gift. And they're like, oh, this is pretty paper. Shouldn't we leave it like this? No, open it. The paper isn't the gift. The wrapping isn't the contents. It must be opened and received. This is mine. Want to look? Okay, look, that's enough. It's mine. You want to look? Good. Okay, mine. Received. They have tasted the heavenly gift, but not accepted the heavenly gift. What are we talking about here? Shades of the Holy Spirit, the giver of the gift. Particularly through the word of God that the Holy Spirit wrote, that elucidates, that gives us the truth of the gift of Jesus Christ himself. What is the greatest gift that God ever gave to man? God's own Son, Jesus Christ. When we look at even how gifts are given, uh, I take you to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, which might be kind of surprising to you. Oh, we're talking about this, and, and Pastor is somehow being a good Baptist, and he's turned to a chapter uh, on, on giving. No, this isn't a, a message that's now going to be turned into how to get a bigger offering in church. But there's a comparison here in the teaching of Paul to Christians about the blessing of giving to God in the church and those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly, but those who sow bountifully reap bountifully and that God loves a cheerful giver. Well, then the connection is made unto the greatest giver of all times and who is that? God himself. And so to learn about giving even of yourselves monetarily, there's a need to understand God who gave the best gift ever. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians 9. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You ever wonder if sometimes it's hard for you to describe salvation? easily and fast or even Christ himself is because the totality of it is indescribable it's enormous can we simplify it down to a few sentences yes is that good enough no 
open it up. Unwrap it, show it off, accept it. In Ephesians as well, many of you are familiar with this passage. You wouldn't even need to turn, a, turn to it. It's a, a great passage. Uh, Ephesians 2.8. It begins, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the, help me, the gift of God. They have tasted of the heavenly gift of God. You see, both the grace is a gift of God and the faith is a gift of God. And if you don't open the faith, you don't experience the grace. The grace of both gifts is the safety net of a Christian. How are you saved, Christian? By, by dead works? Remember I said it was connected? The basic things, elementary things of being a mature Christian, the foundation of growing on that, you must repent of dead works. If you're still working your way from heaven, you haven't opened up the gift. For the gift is given by grace. It's in the garage. Go get it. No, he has to deliver it to my door. Or I'm not opening it up. He did deliver it to your door. Walk. Get it. Open it up. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Not a result of of works, lest any man should. If you're boasting in your works, you're working without a net. You are working on your, low, on your own on a high altitude walk, uphill, on the way, and a wind is coming. You have not accepted the gift. It tasted as only a sample rather than trying it fully. Some people will say, well, I tried that Jesus thing and it didn't work for me. You were just looking at the paper, buddy. You didn't look in the box, did you? Well, I didn't like what it sounded like. It's like the proverbial child. You're making something new at home and he comes in the kitchen and he gives a sniff and he says, what's that? It's something new. You're going to like it. I don't like it. Well, how do you know you don't like it? You haven't tasted it. I know I'm not going to like it. And so what does a good parent do who wants their child to mature? What do they tell them? You're going to eat it anyway. That's right. So I just got parenting, marriage, all kinds of good stuff in this sermon. I could quit now if I wanted to. Remember the context of Hebrews are these Israelites who walked in nearness to God and God's people, yet who were not saved, were not believing, and they tested. Rather than tasting the Lord, they tested him at every point. In Hebrews 3, we're reminded of verse 8, to do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, where your fathers, listen, tested me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 
So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They're falling from the high wire of their own works. Number three. The third incomplete Christian association. The third incomplete Christian association. Partakers. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4 and the other half here. And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now when you first read this, I'll bet you 80% of you, 90% said that person has to be saved. Didn't you say that? I said that once too. I said that once too. How can you be a partaker of the Holy Spirit and not be truly saved? Well, let me show you. Let me show you. They have a close association, but not complete. They're partakers. The word metoxos, metoxos in the Greek, which means to be a partner or a sharer in a companion. It means to be in association with, but not necessarily in possession. So they're partakers of the Holy Spirit, but not possessors of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between being a partaker and being a possessor of the Holy Spirit, i.e. baptized in the Spirit. Now there is a difficulty in this passage, and it arises because the author's use of this metoxos word, this partaker's word, in a number of passages in Hebrews. And I want to highlight them to show you I know they're there, and I'm dealing with them, and the conclusion remains the same. These are not believers. Hebrews 3, 1. This one will throw you on your ear into the belief category for a while, but I'll help you. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brethren, well, that has to be a believer. And it's true, it has to be talking to believers. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly what? Calling. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Different partaking of a calling, not of the Holy Spirit, of a calling. Consider the Apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. I take you now to Hebrews 12, if you flip there, and verse 8. But if you are without chastening, now this comes right after the faith chapter, chapter 11. And in chapter 12, then you now learn how to walk by faith, and part of walking by faith, which is with a net, with the protection of God, that's why it's also called the shield of faith. You are then called as a mature Christian to understand the chastening hand of the Lord maturely, accepting it that a good father will chasten you to mature you more, to bring you to repentance from sin or to greater understanding through the difficulties he allows in your life. Hebrews 12.8 but if you're without chastening, listen. But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers. So if you're a Christian, God is going to at some point justly punish you to bring you back into line. It's a sign that you're a Christian. And he's maturing you. 
But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. How do you know you're a Christian? Your good parent God gives you spankings. How does the, how does the child really know his parents love him? Well, the modern world will tell us when they give them whatever they want, when they're very permissive to them, I say, well, honey, what do you want to eat today? Well, honey, what, what classes would you like to study in school today? Well, I'll tell you what you're going to take when you hit freshman algebra. You're going to take freshman algebra. And you're going to go through that. You're going to suffer the same pain I suffered because through that pain, I grew up. You know, I finally got algebra. Another freshman year. College. See, I'd had that again as a senior in high school. That was God's beginning of my entire humbling process. He's not done yet, but that was fun. But all of a sudden, X had a meaning. I cared. Got to balance animal nutrition equations. Concrete. X means that many oats. Three pounds of oats, 12 pounds of hay, a little bit of fiber over here, and water, minerals. We got a balanced equation, baby. Let's get the horses. Motivation! You get it. But if you're not chastened, you're not his. You're not growing up. And no one is caring for you because you have no spiritual father. Back to Hebrews 3. I saved this. I didn't do it when I did 3, 1, and 2. I'm going to do it now because this gives us a lead pipe cinch, as they used to say, which is an easy way of understanding. Hebrews 3.14 For we, listen, he says, have become partakers of Christ if conditional clause if we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast how long? Oh, I got three of you here. How long? To the what? Thank you. I thought I was alone up here. What kind of Sunday is this? To the end. To the end. The perseverance of the saints. They persevere to the end. That's how it works. So while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, you can fall. If you haven't partaken completely. Sharing common association with Christians, with the events of Christianity, with even attending church services, to be around even when the Holy Spirit has been ministering, seeing the signs and the wonders and the miraculous gifts of the early church, but not being a true possessor of the Holy Spirit, you're in danger. You see, the Bible never speaks of Christians being associated with the Holy Spirit. It speaks of them being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and to be full of the Holy Spirit. Two different meanings. 
to be baptized in the Spirit, as we discussed when we were looking at the foundational Christian doctrines of baptisms, the baptism of the Spirit is something that happens to you. God does it to you. You don't get it yourself. You don't say, God, give me your Holy Spirit. God gives you his Holy Spirit. By grace, you have been saved. And then you will exercise faith. Faith because the Holy Spirit has regenerated you. And now you say, I get it. That's the safety net. That's what it means. I understand. Because he has given you the gift and you're now able to open it up. You've seen it. For by one spirit, we were all, all Christians are all baptized into one body. They're not just partakers. They're not just companions. Of, they're not just associated with. They're baptized. They're indwelt into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been all made to drink. Did you notice that? And have all been made to drink into one spirit. That's right back to that child. What are you going to have for dinner? You're going to be made to eat. What's for dinner? That's also called grace. God makes us, makes us drink into the Spirit. Then there's the filling of the Spirit. One is person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, regenerated in heart. He can then choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where your will comes in, to submit to the will of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. The idea is control. Wine controls you, or does the Spirit control you? Does your body's fleshly desire to get its euphoria from a bottle outweigh your desire to be fulfilled in Christ, fulfilled with the Holy Spirit and His control? Read Ephesians 5. It's worth noting. So you can be a partaker without a possessor. Even the 5,000 who were fed, the loaves and the fishes, many were fed. Many saw the work of the Spirit in multiplying the bread and fishes. But how many believed? They cried out, crucify him. So all associations are not necessarily good. And just an association with Christ and his church is not enough. Letter D. The fourth incomplete Christian association, they have tasted the word of God, but not trusted the word of God. They have tasted the word of God, but not trusted the word of God, verse 5. And have tasted the word of God, we'll get to the powers of the age to come in a moment. Tasted the word of God, but have not trusted. Again, the word tasted. Tasted. This is... A great study for us because this word tasted is being used in two instances, three here, but the writer of Hebrews is using it again and again, and we're going to have to sort this out a bit. But in this case, he says they tasted not anything but 
the word. But the word here is not the word here that we would think would be here. It's not logos that is customary for the entire body of scripture, but it is rhema. They've tasted the rhema. The rhema is specific to verbal speech, utterances, that has sound. They have tasted in that they have heard some of the message of God. But they have not trusted the whole message of God. Let me show you. Hebrews 1.3, the use of this word. Rhema. Who, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, that's Jesus being the express image of God's person, and upholding all things by the, listen, the word, the rhema of his power. Speaking of Jesus, that when he speaks, that word has power, and he upholds all things by the things which he speaks. That's the oral connotation here. Again, in 11.3 of Hebrews, 11 verse 3, we read, by faith, this is the faith chapter, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the rhema of God. It is so interesting in 1.3, the deity of Christ in direct combination with the deity of God the Father is given creative authority through this word. And then in the faith chapter, we're called on again to believe that it was the word of God. The word of Christ upholds all things. And the word of God created all things by the rhema of God. So the things which are seen, 11.3, were not made of things which were visible. Another use, Hebrews 12.18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and listen and the voice of the words. In Hebrews, we can't forget the Hebrews. The Hebrew people heard the very voice of God and they rejected the very voice of God. They stood at the mountain that Moses went up the mountain trembled with thunder and clouds. And there was danger in it. Listen. That the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, the rhema, so that those who heard it begged that the word, that the rhema should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Isn't Christianity just a wonderful faith? If we're going to deal with God really, then we got to deal really with God. And God is scary. At some points. Terrifying. There's not a godly man in the Bible who gets just a vision or a glimpse of God who isn't undone by it in his terror. 
And the children of Israel, chosen by God, standing at the foot of God to receive the word of God, are told by the voice of God, stay away. You're walking without a net. You're going to fall. Wait. Be patient. There's danger here. Liano Walenda, Nick Walenda's cousin, I believe, who walked across the Grand Canyon, who walked across those big towers in Chicago, in relating that in 1962, four members of her family doing a high wire walk act in the form of a pyramid fell and four of them died. And in 2017, in another pyramid act of which the Walendas are quite famous for, one lost their balance and four were critically, critically injured. Leanna Walenda said, well, I heard about those things, but we don't think about them. She said, falling is not in our family vocabulary. Falling is not in the unbeliever's vocabulary either, but it is in Christian vocabulary. That you can be walking on a high wire and be the most skilled walker in the world and fall to your death. Because you haven't listened. I mean, just what exactly are they proving anyway? It's dangerous to walk on a high wire without a net. You're going to die. It is given unto man who wants to die. And after this, the judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's in Hebrews. To the Hebrews. So this rhema emphasizes a partial hearing of the word without full understanding because the word logos isn't used but in Hebrews logos is used to prove the whole message hang with me Hebrews 2 2 for if the word spoken so if the word here is logos for the word logos spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How can we live if we won't use a safety net? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness. Hebrews 4.2 For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the logos the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with what? Faith. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So you can hear it, and if you don't believe it, you ain't got it. And you're going to fall. 
They have tasted, but they have not trusted the word of God. On March 22, 1978, March 22, 1978, Carl Walenda fell to his death. He fell to his death as he attempted to walk across a high wire strung between two towers of the Condado Plaza Hotel in San Juan, Puerto Rico. He was 73 years of age. And he was working without a net. The wire was too slack. The wind was too high. It was televised across the world. And for 30 seconds, he swayed and teetered and tottered on that wire and lost it and fell 10 stories to his death. He was working without a net. He had not trusted in something else besides himself. And so he fell. These people are not believers. And they have finally tasted the powers of the age to come and have not anticipated it. Falling's not in our, in our vocabulary and neither is hell. And neither is death. So says the unbeliever. Or if it is, it's a joke. Sure, I want to go to hell. All my friends will be there. Well, they won't be your friends there. And you won't be theirs. You'll be in eternal torment. You haven't hoped even in the future to live today for the thrill of today of walking on a high wire today and not have any anticipation of what is to come in the age to come, the powers of the age to come. Jesus Christ spoke more of the kingdom that will come than any other subject except judgment in hell. He talked more about falling than about the hope of living eternally in the kingdom of God. age to come. No anticipation. I ask you, are you living today for the thrills of today? Somebody, you may even be 73 or older and still looking to impress people by how high above them all you can walk on your tightrope. but you've not fully tasted. You've not possessed. You've only partaken. You've not trusted. And you haven't anticipated the glories to come. I call on you today. Don't fall away. Get the safety net. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died in your place so that when you die, 
you'll be caught in his hand. The safety net of God. Of all that the Father gives me, I shall lose none of them. Let's pray. Bless these words today, Lord, to those who need to hear it. Change hearts today to complete faith, those who have not attained it. Let them open the gift of Jesus Christ and own it. Let them come to Jesus in fear of falling and ask that he would catch them because he fell for us and rose again and lives in newness of life. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody say it. Amen.